0: You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording. And lines are now closed.
1: I seek refuge with Allah from Satan, the accursed, in the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. r-Rahim, in the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. Welcome to this Monday show of The Breakfast Show, being broadcast here live from the... Voice of Islam Studios here in South London and today is Monday the 12th of September and the time is fast approaching four minutes past seven. Uh, We shall be discussing two topics today as is the norm here at the Voice of Islam. Sometimes we do uh, discuss uh, three topics. Uh, This is an interactive show so if you have any questions, comments or feedback please do get involved. We'd love to hear from you uh, this morning. The um, topics um, I will talk about in a little bit, and normally we start off the show by discussing the weather and some of the um, topics uh, uh, that are are headlining the news. Um, From about quarter past eight, uh, after the eight o'clock news, we shall be, um, So sorry, from about half past seven onwards up to the eight o'clock news, we shall be discussing the first topic uh, at 8 o'clock we shall have the 8 o'clock news we shall have a short break then and then from about 8.15 leading up to 9am up to the end of the show we shall be discussing the um, the second topic uh, if you have any like comments like I said, any suggestions you can always ring us, you can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK now the show, like I said is an interactive show so if you have uh, uh, any suggestions you would like us, uh, you know, about the show, uh, any topics you like us to discuss, please do not hesitate. Now, today's show shall be presented by myself, uh, Khalid Banu, Uh, we have uh, also with us um, Imam Shazeb Atar, and also uh, we have on the line with us, Mr. Sharif Banu. Uh, As-salamu peace be upon you, Sharif, how are you?
2: As-salamu alaykum alaikum salam. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of God.
1: I'm good, thank you. And you? Yeah, good, thank you. I'm uh, I'm so excited to have uh, the the show yeah. today. <laughs> two <coughs> two bundles on the line, right? So Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so let's let's hope that I think that's it I think that's
2: the first virtual voice of Islam.
1: Yes, exactly, yes. And, and I think um uh, I hope our listeners are not feeling feeling overwhelmed with too many bundles. <laughs> <laughs> but um I think I think um what would be nice, I think next time when we have a... Uh, Another relative of ours working on tech support. Asadullah, that we, then that we had a hat trick, right?
2: <laughs> Inshallah, yeah. Inshallah, yeah.
1: Exactly. So, um, what's what's uh, what's uh, been going on in the news, uh, Sharif? Do you want to talk about the weather, or do you want me to talk about it?
2: Um, I can. So, yeah. uh, if we start with the weather, yes. so today it's looking rather gloomy and grey today. So, rain across North Wales and Northern England, um, heavy bursts in places. Brighter further north, but breezy with some heavy showers, um, in far north. Further south, fairly cloudy, but noticeably warm and humid with a chance of an isolated showers. So, it's looking pretty much like we've entered autumn now. Yes. The weather has turned and it's getting cooler, rainier, greyer, darker sooner, and, um, the sun rises even a bit later now.
1: <laughs> That's right. And what's the what's the weather like on your side?
2: Um, pretty much the same. It's <laughs> grey. I can't even see. can even see past the window at the moment. Oh. It's very misty.
1: Yeah, I know. This morning, uh, um, I mean, there wasn't any frost on the on the car window, but it's starting to feel like that. There'll be summer at some point soon. But uh, it was still, you know, quite like I said, quite misty this morning. Um, and Sharif, um. In terms of the uh, the the news, is there anything in particular that caught your eye?
2: Well, um, at the moment, mm. every single newspaper seems is dominated by um, the final goodbye for the Queen.
1: Yes, of course.
2: And the long, the saddest journey now begins and um, began yesterday from um, um, Scotland into Edinburgh, where um, the Queen will lie there until tomorrow, and then will continue the journey to London. So all of the newspapers this morning, uh, they all start. They all have the same picture of the Queen's coffin being um, um, transported from. Um, uh, my brain's just gone. Um, uh,
1: yes, from Scotland.
2: From uh, from Scotland, but mm. from um, Edinburgh, from her, her castle up north into Edinburgh.
1: That's correct. Yes, it was a six-hour journey, um, quite a quite a long journey. It's about 150 miles from. From um, from Balmoral down to uh, Balmoral, and, yeah. yes, yeah. I know what yeah. was what was touching to see was like the, the crowds of people. And this morning, I was listening to the news, and they were saying how you know um, the 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 funeral, the state funeral, which is now has has now been announced, which will be on Monday, the nineteenth of September. Um, you no, know, they're saying that there's going to be huge crowds of people, and uh, already they're saying that you know um, some people are going to have to come, you know you know, a day before, because it's mm-hmm. going to be, it's going to be that, that immense. I mean, the thing is, we already saw, uh, on, you know, on the day that the news was announced of, of the unfortunate passing of our beloved Queen on the Thursday, the cr- the, the, the huge crowds had just gathered so quickly around Buckingham mm-hmm. Palace. So it's not going to be no surprise for the funeral, because of course, you know, she's, she's, she's served her, her country so well for the last 70 years. So she's touched so many people. So, you know, no doubt. I think you know, just seeing from what happened in Scotland, and you know, uh, people you know attending Windsor as well. So, no doubt, no doubt. You know, on Monday, uh, when the funeral happens in uh, in London, that it will be extremely busy.
2: Exactly, and if you saw, if you looked at the pictures yesterday from Balmoral Castle mm-hmm. all the way down to Edinburgh, the procession was. Um, was basically people were lined up the streets mm. even the motorway to to look at it and um and even when you entered edinburgh the crowds um if you've been to edinburgh you'll know it's a rather smallish city mm. and um the, there's not much road space and uh, and pavement but you look at the um the amount of people there that's lined up the street there was hardly any space
1: mm. exactly. left on
2: the on the either side
1: definitely uh, and uh, you know um it's, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be I mean' uh, it's, it's quite a sombering you know occasion I, I mean at the same time you know we've been blessed we've got a new a new monarch King Charles the third and um, you know he's his speech has been you know very sort of um, humble as well and um, the thing is I, 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 I think you know like many people like myself I, I I'm you know gonna have um, at some point, I'm going to make my way down to, you know, to to um, London, to Buckingham Palace, I mean, to, for the funeral on Monday. But uh, <laughs> we have to see, because of course, it's a bank holiday Monday as well. Mm-hmm. A, yeah. it, so, you know, but on Monday, says um the, the, the actual, pres- what will happen is that the Queen's lying state will end and the coffee will be taken in procession to Westminster Ab- Abbey for the state mm-hmm. ch- uh, funeral, right? And among yes. among the guests will be members of her family, senior UK politicians, and heads of states, and across the world, and representatives from charities as she actually supported. Now, following the yeah. funeral, the coffin will travel in procession from Westminster Abbey to Wellington mm-hmm. Arch, and and from there it will travel to Windsor. And it's, it's stated here uh, in the BBC website that the state hearse will then take the coffin along the, uh, the long walk to St George's Chapel. In Windsor Chapel, where a committal service will take place. So, yeah, it's quite a you know, quite a again you know sombering. I mean, the thing is, it's still even now. You know, I was talking to someone yesterday, and I, I was saying to them, "Oh, Prince Charles," and I had to stop myself. and said, "No, it's King Charles." So I think yeah. a lot of us are still you know coming to terms, you know, with with a change and you know.
2: Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's um, at least two, three generations of people who've only known the Queen mm. and, you know, since her coronation and, um, and nothing since. So Now it's a complete change in our thinking, in our way we talk, I mean, from Prince Charles to King Charles yes, and Queen Consort. So it's just a matter of time, but it will, it will take time and people are slowly getting used to the idea that we now have a King rather than the Queen. Definitely. And
1: I will just turning to like some of the headlines from the main uh, papers. So on the front of the um, Financial Times, it says here that Queen's coffin begins journey south as uh, King Charles prepares for whistle stop tour of uh, across Britain. Uh, in the I newspaper, it says it's a special edition. It says Queen's final journey begins again it's the same the you know, same theme. Uh, and it's getting like we it's it's, it's just talking about the things that we've discussed already, uh, and uh, you know, about the process and what will happen, you know, leading up to the funeral on Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, what what was what's a, a bit sort of heartbreaking you see the actual coffin, and you know, of the Creed. Yeah. So, oh, and the the Guardian again talks about again about this final journey. So there's 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 you know, like you said, the the newspapers are all talking about the same thing, about the final uh, ceremony, the final uh, funeral procession and so on. Uh, mm. and, his, and one of the papers said, you know, is the Queen's saddest journey begins. And the thing is, I think is that one of the things that was interesting, I was listening to the paper uh, in, on the news the other day, or yesterday actually, was saying that the Prince Charles, blessing him, he, or King Charles, see i done it again, King Charles III okay. has, not, has not even had time to mourn really and he's just had to assume the role of, of, of yeah. a new monarch and uh, you know, things are moving pretty, pretty um, you know, rapidly
2: mm-hmm. yeah. it, it is, mm-hmm. and for me what was really um, touching was seeing Prince Harry and Prince William together yesterday in Windsor so putting aside, you know, the differences and, and the issues they've had over, over the years to come together to mourn their, their granny their gran yes so, so that was that was quite touching and unexpected and um, even the you know most of the news station yesterday was saying how unexpected it was to see all four of them together to pay tribute and um, to the queen
1: yeah, definitely uh, yes exactly and it's the thing i think is again you know it reminds me slightly of of, of when covid happened um the, yeah, the, the outbreak of covid it was such a uh I, how should I explain it? Started, it was a shock for everyone, but what it was something that brought everyone together. So again, with this, you know, the passing of the Queen, <clears throat> it, it's nice to see, like you said, um, that the four, the four of them were together. You know, uh, Prince uh, Prince uh, Willi- William, um, you know, Princess Prince Kate, Harry, yeah. yeah, and, and Prince yeah. Harry, and, and and Meghan. You know, so it was nice to see, you know, the four of them together, and it was lovely because I think the the crowds. Like everyone else, like all the of people, like you know, ourselves, it's nice, you know, to have um, that connection with the people. And you know, it was very—I think it was just one of those things that people needed to see and to have contact yeah. with them. And especially, you know, when, when King Charles was walking around with uh, the Queen Consort um, Camilla, it was nice and uh, meeting
2: the, everyone. Exactly, yeah, in Westminster. Yeah,
3: exactly.
1: Um, brother. Atar, Alaikum. Well,
3: very good yourself
1: yes good thank you yeah so you know as we were discussing about you know the the final you know procession of the queens coming mm. and you know the the process i mean what what are your thoughts about this
3: i well, mean my thoughts are you know of um you know the 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 amount of service um and the matter of um the, the commitment that the queen showed you know, bless mm. bless us all um, is second to none, really. Um, you know, till her last breath, uh, she was carrying on her duties. You know, receiving the new incoming prime minister, um, and we're told that she, you know, continuously was going through a red box through the um, conversations, um, the debates that were um, conducted through House of Commons. The Queen was going through those um, and what have you. And it's, uh, I think, it's a lesson for everyone, really, to see. Mm-hmm. um you know lesson on commitment um, a lesson 100% on 100% exactly yeah a lesson mm-hmm. on responsibility to one's duty um, and i think like a lot of the commentators and and you know royal correspondents have said that we perhaps will never see such a rain again in our lives or at least um you know for many many years um so yeah it's um mm-hmm. you know it's heartbreaking and, and in reality i think for a lot of people yes You know, um, we could see this happening, but when it happens, it's a completely different scenario and and an understanding trying to comprehend. Yes. Um, Because we've always, you know, as a nation, seen the Queen and turned to the Queen, Um, and now, you know, we have to sort of adjust um, and look towards, you know, the King now.
4: Yes,
2: definitely.
3: And and you know, it's um, it's really appropriate when you talk about
1: um, commitment, and here for me. You know, for us, at yeah, the voice of Islam. Uh, you know, we always, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a quite a few people that we can, you know, uh, look to as examples of, you know, perfect dedication to their roles. And if you look at, you know, the life of the Holy Prophet May the Peace and Blessings of Allah be upon him, he, you know, he served. He was there to serve humanity, uh, and and not, of course, disregarding his duties to his family and to his fellow human beings, and. He was not, you know, like some people say, oh, he's just out preaching. He wasn't just out preaching, he was out. You know, he, he worked. He worked. Mm. He, he spread the, the treaties of Islam. <clears throat> and of course, he did lots of uh, charitable actions. Whilst
3: being a statesman too.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, he also spent time with his family. And now, if you look at the life of our, uh, the daily life of our beloved Caliph, um, Sharif, you know, he's so committed and he works so hard, now I'll his hand the fifth successor to the promised messiah peace you know peace be upon him and you see his dedication he's just on top isn't it true mm-hmm.
2: Abs- absolutely and even you know through sickness and hell they've always kind of with that role of responsibility they've always dedicated their time even their health to to doing it and when i i saw the photo of on um I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday and my dad commented on it to to look at the queen how frail she looked. Mm. Little did we know that a couple of, the next day she would pass away. Yes. But when you look at you look at that dedication that they show to their responsibility and their duty, she really lived up to her oath that she made back in nine, when she was coronated where she dedicated her her life to service and this is what we see with um the Khalifas—they also dedicate their life to service until their last breath. They—they they show that commitment, that resilience, that um, courage to carry on their oath till the very end.
1: Hundred uh, percent. You know, it, um, you know, it's—it was. Um, I was I listening to you. So it's the Friday seven um, last week. It's Friday seven, and our uh, beloved Khalif, you know, he. He was standing there delivering, uh, you know, every week, you know, non-stop, you know, week in, week out, you know, speak, speaking to the, you know, the, the, whole, you know, the whole world, basically, not just to, to us here in the UK. Uh, and incidentally, uh, for our listeners who are not aware, you can listen to the Friday Seven here at the Voice of Time, uh, one pm every Friday. Uh, talking again, just briefly about the breakfast show, we run from Monday to Friday from uh, seven am to nine am. Now. Yeah, the, I was talking about the Friday sermon, and, and, and you know, the Al-Khalif, like you said, he just keeps working. There's no days off for for, for for him, you know, and and of course, there's all the people that work around him as well, just non-stop and this, for me, is just a beautiful example of dedication and yeah. hard work.
3: Yeah, no, truly, and it personifies, you know, the, the whole word, really. Um, and, you know, these are the people that we look towards for inspiration, you know, motivation, what have you. Exactly. Um, so that we can also sort of tread upon this path of success and, you know, um, try to replicate at least a percentage of what these people achieved throughout their you know, brilliant lives. Exactly.
1: Um, if I may, gentlemen, I just wanted to talk about uh, a slightly different topic uh, at the moment. The, one of the other news sort of headlines at the moment that's quite uh, prominent in the newspapers and in social media. It's about this shooting of this unarmed gentleman. Uh, The gentleman, his name was Chris Carber. Uh, So what's happened now is that the police shooting of the unarmed man has now been treated as a homicide. Now this has only sort of really happened once before, that a a shooting has been treated as a homicide. Which is- Streatham Hill, right? That's correct, Mm. yes. So normally, um, you know, police shooting will be investigated. That's a a normal procedure. Mm. It's just standard practice but what's happened in this case is that um it's been treated as a homicide and this very very rarely happened mm-hmm. so this homicide means that it's a shooting of one person to another right And yeah. not necessarily saying that he's a policeman right okay. so a criminal investigation is underway after the police watchdog said it would investigate the shooting of an unarmed black man as a homicide chris Carbo, this is so sad he's 24 died after a police pursuit of a car ended in Streatham Hill, like you mentioned, Mother uh, in South London, on Monday night. The Inter- Independent Office for Police Conduct, the IOPC, said the development does not mean that criminal charges will necessarily follow. Now, Mr. Carver's family has welcomed the decision. They called on the IOPC to use all of its powers to make this an effective criminal investigation so the police are held to account. The Carver family would like to give a hop well, thank you to everyone who has supported the family in its call for this criminal investigation. They added, uh, "The family has been calling for a homicide investigation into the death from the outset, having previously accused the Met Police, uh, police, excuse me, of being totally racist." Mm. Now, the Met Police says it is fu- fully cooperating with the IOPC and that its thoughts and sympathies remain with Mr. Carmo's friends and family. This gentleman was. Um, You know, studying to become an architect, and his um, fiance was due to yeah, they're expecting expecting you know in a few months. So it's a very very sad story, and uh, it it's 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 you know not long ago on the breakfast show, I really out two weeks ago. We were talking Mm. about knife knife crimes, yeah, 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 we were, and we were saying how you know it's it's rare to have. Um, shooting, the yeah. yeah, but unfortunately, we seem to be hearing more and more about shooting. Admittedly, this was, yeah, you know, one off, you know. but it's, it's still, nevertheless, oh
3: yeah, you know, it's heartbreaking. Um, you know, a, a young gentleman who's got his whole life ahead of him, he's expecting, you know, um, a child in a couple of months, and now, you know, not only is his immediate sort of family, his partner you know um, broken but it you know extended family you know are in uh, shattered to pieces um, and no matter what you know can be said or will be said you know that gentleman what we brought back um, so yeah I think the day and the, the, the day and age that we live in now I think there's a lot of scrutiny uh, upon the police especially what's been happening in the sort of past you know 12 24 months with the uh, sad murder of uh, Sarah Everard and what have you um, so yeah there'll definitely be scrutiny you know increased scrutiny on the met and what the outcome is um, you know and our prayers and thoughts are with the uh, deceased hundred no, percent because uh, our our frontline you
1: know um, our frontline heroes I say the police yeah the, the, the doctors nurses um, you know, Teachers and the fire service, the ambulance service, paramedics do such hard work, and occasionally these, you know, these unfortunate incidents happen. Yeah. Uh, like you said, you mentioned Sarah Everard as well. That was also very, you know, sad, sad. Talk. But I think it does not take away from the hard work oh, and yeah. dedication because, like I was just mm. said, these people put their their lives at risk for oh, us. You know. Yeah. yeah. Literally. Like,
3: and and, yeah, and yeah. you know. Um, so yeah, mm. it's just it's I guess it's a tricky tricky situation to be in. Yes. Um exactly.
1: Sorry Sherry if you're going to say something.
2: <laughs> no. Um mm. what I was going to say was mm. it it is it is sad and it is very tricky and it's always um heartbreaking when you see a situation like this where you know, we don't we don't see um as much in the UK as we see in the US. Yes. But when you read reading the papers and stuff of what's happening in the U.S. at the moment and with the level of gun crimes and everything, and when it comes to our doorsteps, there is a reality that kind of hits home and we need to react. And, and this is what we've seen, the accountability that um, we're seeing at the moment in, in the Met where, you know, it might be criticized for a lot of things, but on this occasion, for it to have been classified as a homicide mm. says a lot about the MET and the, the vision and what they're trying to achieve as compared to the U.S., where if you look at the figures, 79% of crimes of homicides yes. are gun-related in the, in the U.S., whereas in the U.K., it's only about 4%. So there's a stark difference between what's going on here and what's going on in the U.S., and it brings a level of um, reassurance. If, if, want for a better word, that we are trying to do something about it. We are, we've still got a long way to go in terms to tackle racism and, you know, all the issues that we see between the Met and, 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 um, and the society where the, the police, but the fact that we are transparent or seem to be transparent mm. is a good thing and that the people that do commit those and, un- unjustifiable acts are actually held to account so that it will make people think and um, before they pull the trigger before you you know the bullet is fired that once it's fired you cannot take it back I'm because saying, you will not get mm. that life back you can you can try to you know do try other ways and don't get me wrong there are situations where it's justified Mm. where the police have been proven to have been justified to use lethal force. But in this case, I don't think it was. So uh, this is where we think that, you know, the accountability should rest and the people who committed that should be held to account.
1: A hundred percent. Turning to some other news, you know, um, we're, we're so fortunate, you know, in, in, in the Muslim community to, to be blessed with uh, the, our leader, who guides us in uh, you know in everyday matters, and there's so many different like auxiliary organisations. And just very briefly, I just wanted to talk about the this weekend the youth organisation uh, held its programme, which was called the Ishtama, um, uh, and that, that was a very nice uh, programme. How, how was it for you, um, brother Shazid?
3: Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic to see you know all the brothers. So for those of us listeners that aren't aware of what you know brother Khalid's talking about, it's um, it's organized by the youth association um, within the community, mm. and the youth is, association is called right. Khuddam al Um which means the servants of Ahmadiyad. And what happens is that there's uh, all the youths mm. up and down the country mm. um, gather uh, in Hampshire, yes. and for this year, especially because of the sad demise of her. Late Majesty Queen mm. Elizabeth II. Um, you know, to commemorate uh, her reign, uh, there was a whole exhibition uh, which was set up. You know, the football tournament, which is you know enjoyed by all brothers every year, was cancelled. Yes. Um, because of uh, Majesty's uh, demise, mm. and the there's always the flags of the four nations um, um, and the flag of. The youth association, which was at half mass, so in essence, really, it's a coming together for all of brothers. Um, there's a, the element of mm. brotherhood, um, which is you know, brought about, and we have various activities um, you know, F1 simulators, there's you know, um, indoor sort of penalty shootouts or what have you so there's a lot of activities um, and there's a great understanding of the religion mm-hmm. for those for those people that perhaps you know want to know more um, so there's um, late night discussions um, there's you know any questions which anybody perhaps has on their minds um, there's obviously stations where they can go up and ask those questions and you know the highlight of the three days so It's a three-day event the highlight of the event is His Holiness's address on the last day, and this year His Holiness touched first upon the demise of Her Majesty and uh, um, gave some remarks. And then mm. His Holiness turned towards the the youth and the responsibilities that the youth had mm. towards their oath, or rather their what was the word? Yeah, a
1: pledge. The yeah. pledge. Yeah, there was That's a it. theme. Yes, you're right. Yeah, yes. so each.
3: Mm. Each gathering, each year has its own theme, mm. and this year's theme was honoring our pledge. Yes. And, you know, as part of the Youth Association, without going on too much, is that we always have a pledge that we recite. Um, and His us, you know, really emphasized on the point that we need to honor our pledge and make sure that we, you know, the whole sort of element of commitment, uh, you know, commit to our. Pledge in its fullest extent.
1: Exactly, and and it's, this is the thing for people who, who who might not be aware. When we say we on our pledge, it's not a pledge just to our community, to our leader, to our uh, religion of Islam. It's a pledge to our 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 government. It's a pledge to our queen. It's you know, a pledge to the nation that you're living in. <coughs> is that correct, Sharif?
2: Um, it, exactly. And one of the things that you just mentioned that um originally the. The event is marked by a full sports program, and however, His Holiness um, advised the organizing committee that on the sad demise of, his, of Her Majesty the Queen, that the games should be scaled back as a mark of respect. And one of the things that kind of caught my eye in his speech was mm-hmm. that he said... That he deemed it essential to do that because the Queen was our long-serving head of state. And she led the nation with great dignity and justice for over 70 years. And during her reign, the United Kingdom remained a beacon of religious freedom in the world. Indeed, the Queen herself advocated for true religious freedom and interfaith harmony on many occasions. Thus, we are grateful to have lived under such a gracious monarch so we can see that you know out of respect and appreciation for what what a great queen she was you know we even at a religious organization we we marked her, her passing and showed our respect to that
1: definitely uh, exactly and, and he's you know the our beloved caliph may Allah uh, and he said he also said that you know um, uh, one of the things that it, what was I, I, I particularly liked what he said was that you know we, as Ahmed Muslim we should be particularly appreciative of the fact that we've given the opportunity to establish our community's international headquarters after the migration of Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih the fourth, who was the fourth successor to the Prophet Messiah, may Allah have mercy on him, in the United Kingdom during the reign of Queen Elizabeth, and we have been able to practice and propagate our religion Islam freely. You know, it's so beautiful that we have the opportunity and the blessing to have our Caliph uh, with us. Uh, Right, we shall be taking a short break. After the short break, we shall be discussing the first of our two topics this morning. The first topic we shall be discussing this morning is how has COVID affected the development of children? And after the... um, Eight o'clock, news, approximately around quarter past eight, we shall be discussing our separate, second topic uh, for today, which is lives could be at risk this winter due to rise in energy prices. So we shall be taking a short break. Please uh, grab yourselves a coffee, some breakfast, or some tea, and then join us after this very very short break.
0: Writings of the Promised Messiah, ales It was made clear to me through divine revelation that the Messiah whose advent among the Muslims had been promised from the beginning, and the Mahdi, whose advent had been divinely decreed at the time of the decline of Islam and the spread of error, and who was to be guided directly by God, and who was to invite people to partake of the heavenly banquet, and whose coming had been foretold by the Holy Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 1300 years in advance, was myself.
5: Selections from the writings of the Promised Messiah on whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya community in Islam. I speak the truth and nothing but the truth. If souls are endowed with a sincere desire to search and hearts become thirsty after knowledge, then mankind will yearn to discover that path and that way. But how can one have access to that path and how can the veil be lifted? I assure all those who seek that it is Islam alone which gives the glad tidings of the way. The other faiths have long since put an end to the institution of revelation from God. So rest assured that it is not God who has brought revelation to a close, but it is man who, to justify his deprivation, seeks shelter in this false excuse. Fully realize that as it is not possible to see without eyes or to hear without ears, or to speak without tongues, so also it is not possible to set your eyes on our beloved God without the aid of the Holy Quran. I was young once, now I am old, but I found none who, without having access to this pure fountainhead, the Quran, drank out of the cup of such manifest and clear guidance. On Abi Musa, radiAllahu anhu, he said, Qala li Rasulullahi sallallahu
1: alayhi Wasallam sallam, ala adulluka ala Kalimatin hiya kenzun
5: min kunuzil jannah? La hawla, wala quwata illa
4: billah. Hazret Abu Musa raziAllahu anhu narrates, The Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said to me, Shall I tell you a word which is one of the treasures of paradise? It is to recite Lahal, meaning without the help of Allah, I cannot refrain from committing sin nor have the capability of doing goodness.
2: Allah.
0: You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
3: To Welcome back to The Breakfast Show here, The Voice of Islam. Just before the break, we were going through some of the morning paper headlines and seeing what's been happening in the news. But it's time now that we start off our first segment, which is about how has COVID affected the development of children? During the lockdowns, newborns have grown in an environment with the lack of interaction, socialisation and the earlier years of life require stimulation to develop basic skills including speech. A speech expert has told the BBC that referrals have increased after COVID. The Welsh Government is launching a scheme to help children whose language skills were affected by lockdown. the early years, that's from 0 to 5 years are recognised as a crucial time for children's development, impacting on their short- and long-term health and well-being. The indirect impacts of COVID-19 on young children have been extensive. It's suggested there have been substantial changes to children's lifestyles and behaviours as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The seven factors influencing children's physical development in the early years in relation to the consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic Number 1. Physical activity, food security, diet and micronutrition deficiencies, breastfeeding, oral health, and vaccinations and sleep. The BBC reported in March this year that North Wales Community Health Council, NWCHC, revealed that lockdown has had an effect on young children's speech development. and That any progress some children made in their speech therapy was lost due to therapy sessions halted. Coronavirus restrictions disrupted schools, nurseries, and childcare businesses, which meant children did not spend as much time in each other's company, potentially affecting their communication skills. An expert told the BBC that referrals had risen, but services had been impacted as well. NWCHC Chief uh, Jeff Ronald Harvey said many parents felt their children lost services at a crucial stage and this was compounded by not seeing of the children. Some parents felt that their children had lost all progress made in previous months, and that the effect upon their child's development had been devastating, he said. Parents acknowledged that the pandemic had presented everyone with extreme challenges, and that it had been necessary to redeploy staff to deal with vaccinations and care for sick patients in hospital. However, they also felt that more could have been done to continue contact with children using the service, albeit in a limited way using video conferencing and digital technology. The Welsh government has launched a talk with me campaign that provides speech and language advice to parents and carers. Now, supporting children at home during COVID has been a huge thing, Um, and so there's a couple of points which I think have been highlighted. Mm on how you know they sort of tackled it when we were in the midst of the pandemic so number one they've said be willing to talk about COVID-19 you know your young child is curious and attentive they would already have heard something silence and secrets do not protect our children honesty and openness do think about how much they will understand and you know them best and in another separate point they've said you know, to be supportive, your child may be scared or confused, give them space to share how they are feeling and let them know you are there for them. So, I think some of these points um, are for the, well rather were for the past when we were in the midst of the pandemic. Um, you know, some people even say that we currently are in the midst, you know, there's an argument for that too. Yeah. But um, I think, yes, there have been huge knock-on effects because of the pandemic and this being one of them, Definitely um
1: sure, i believe we have our guest online
2: um pipa Kotril on with us on the phone um good morning welcome and peace and blessing of allah be upon you
6: good morning can you hear me
2: yes we can hear you pipa thank you for joining us this morning Um that's
6: my pleasure that's pipa, my pleasure
2: you're the head of um, Wales Office for Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists and you work as a speech and language therapist in the NHS in Wales with children and you have done so for over 20 years now. And this has involved working with children with speech and sound difficulties, developmental language disorder, stammer, and other aspects of speech and language communication. Um, Thank you for taking the time and joining us this morning. Um, I'll start with our first question. Can, can you tell us um, a little bit about yourself? Yes, of
6: course. Thank you very much. I'm very, um, very happy to be, to be joining you and speaking to you this morning. Um, So yes, so I work, um, I work as a speech and language therapist in South East Wales and have done for for over 20 years. Um, And that's involved working with families um, in community clinics and in schools, um, also sometimes in people's homes. Um, But as speech and language therapists, We work with people across the whole lifespan um, with newborn babies who have feeding and swallowing difficulties and with children with difficulties with their speech sounds um, that they need to make in their talking and children with difficulties understanding the language and that could be putting words together to make sentences or understanding the instructions and conversations at home and school. Uh, But my colleagues in speech and language therapy also work with adults. um, So that could be um, adults with communication difficulties as part of neurological conditions, such as dementia and Parkinson's and stroke. um, And those people might have their swallowing and their language um, skills affected. Um, but then also working with people who have difficulties with their voice or wanting to change their voice, um, and also in head and neck cancer. So I've really enjoyed the, the time that I've worked because it's a very very diverse profession, um, and we can have a make a huge difference um, to people's lives, um, children and adults, and also the family and, and the community around them as well.
2: Indeed, and we take we take our voice and our speech as something that we take for granted really and we don't really mm. think about it as such. So can you tell us a bit more about what is speech and language therapy and what does it involve?
6: Yes, so it involves getting to know a person and finding out what their difficulties are and what the barriers are, some of those barriers that those difficulties are, are having in um, stopping them. And um, accessing their everyday life and communicating with the people around them. Um, and so as a speech and language therapist um, and also speech and language therapy assistant, um, we would work with those people um, and with their families to try and remove some of those barriers um, so that they're able to function um, in everyday lives, whether it's as uh, part of their school, um, their home, their community their work um, and the wide, wider family in general. And it is about those barriers which is um, which is very important. They could be causing frustration um, and they can cause different things. They can cause um, behavioural difficulties and that sort of thing um, which can uh, can obviously have a huge impact on, on people's lives. Um, so it is about doing different activities um, and learning and also putting strategies in place. To support people to remove those barriers to um, to their communication.
2: Thank you. Um, th- I think um, my co-host got a few questions for you also.
6: Yes,
3: yes, yes. Um, oh, so that's very fascinating to hear. Um, and and there have been also reports of a rise uh, in speech therapy um, therapy referrals that is during COVID. But how do you think a lockdown has impacted speech development in young children overall?
6: Oh, it has definitely affected young children. Um, the restrictions that were, that were brought into place meant that we weren't able to go to different places. We weren't able to meet up with our wider family and the community um, and have those experiences, which are absolutely vital. To our speech language and communication development. That might be in the vocabulary that we use in the communication and in the interaction because we adapt our interaction. Um, in every every time we speak to different people. Um, and so if we don't have experiences of those and practice doing those, then we're not going to be, we might not be as good as, um, uh, at doing them. Um, but the members um, of the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists have been telling us that the impact has been significant. Um, the number of children who need support has increased. Um, the severity of their speech and language difficulties has also increased. Um, and includes more cases of selective mutism and stammering and nonverbal verbal children. Um, and there is a backlog um, of children within the NHS who need to be seen, seen for speech and language therapy.
4: And sort
3: of moving forward what's the best way for children to develop their academic and social
6: schools? So being able to communicate is the bedrock for all learning and development and there are lots of things that people can do um, around children to support them, the strategies that they can put in place. So if children have got difficulty understanding language then we can chunk the information and give them one piece of information at a time as a very practical thing that we can can do to support them. Um, There are lots of different activities that people can do to support their development whether it's vocabulary development and um, whether it's specific activities um about speech sounds and thinking about the sounds that we're making um so there are there are those different skills but undoubtedly um attention and listening and and understanding and learning of language and communication um is absolutely vital for those academic and social skills
1: um, pippa i wanted to ask you uh, if i may Are cognitive issues like difficulty, understanding conversations, um, easy to overcome?
6: Well, it's no doubt that um, if those difficulties are present, it can have a very significant impact. But there are lots of things that can be done to reduce the impact of that, so that it doesn't have the same effect on children um, in their settings. Um, What we need to make sure that we're doing is, is talking and listening to children in language that they can understand, so that they can tell us if they don't understand, and so that then we can do different things to support them um, and help them. Um, but it does take it takes knowledge and training to do those things, um, and that's what we really want to do as the um, as the professional body is to promote that learning um, in in adults around children, um, so that we can support the children as well.
1: Brilliant. And finally, I mean, what can parents us as parents do to help you know this further?
6: Mm. Oh, there's lots of things that you can do to support your child's um, language development. So members of the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists have provided expert advice in the development of resources um, by the Department for Education um, in that home learning environment as well. Um, You've mentioned the talk with me, um, Welsh Government, um, and there's the Disability the Tiny Happy People website. Um, so there's lots of fantastic videos with really simple activities that anyone can do at home. But if you are worried about your child's communication, then please do talk to staff in the nursery early year setting. Or your health visitor, um, because it is critical that um, that your child is referred to a speech and language therapist if
2: they do need that help.
1: Excellent, um, Pipa. Thank you so much. Um, I believe my my colleague has a question for you.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, Pipa, if, if I may, um, we've touched on parents and um, what they can do for their child or children. Um, has a has a non-parent and has an uncle on part of a, an extended family. Mm. I wanted to ask on a personal note how from your, basically, expertise and your years in the industry. How can because how can one tackle this with a parent? Because their child's development and their language skills is something that's very personal and mm-hmm. can be something quite touchy to bring up um, within the family. How can one bring that up? Or any advice that you can give, if you notice, if we notice, or any signs that we can look out for in terms of speech or language barrier that may happen and what is it that we can mm. do as part of the extended family to support and help and engage in order to get the right um, help because in in certain society there is a stigma attached to it so mm. any mm. any advice you can give us
6: absolutely i mean i think being uh, talking about this sort of thing is, is is really really important and absolutely the wider fam- family and the community um, as a whole um, have a role in this we 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 all communicate with children and um and and the best ways that we can do that are being sort of at at their level talking about the things that they're interested in following their lead and that sort of thing and some of the resources that we've talked about have got um, examples of different stages that children might be at and the different things that you might be expecting them to do so it it might be helpful to to have a look at some of those and consider the level that the child's at and what they might be going to do next and 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 that you can and you can do some of those things as a as a a family member and, uh, and as the community, it is really important to talk about these things um, because we do want to make sure that the children get the help that they need. Um, and just in some cases, that can be having that conversation that says... Uh, are, are other people concerned, have, has, has the nursery said anything, have school said anything um, because this is something that you've noticed um, and, and, um, and you, want to, you want to make sure that they're, that they're doing okay and that they're getting the help that they need. Um, so it, it is important to talk about and, um, and in some cases yes it, it can be a difficult thing but it's about getting the right support for the children and that's the most important thing.
2: Thank you. Um, that, that's very insightful. Thank you, Pippa.
1: Pippa uh, Cotterill, it's been a pleasure talking to you this morning. Thank you so much for spending your time with us and sharing your expertise with our listeners. Uh, we wish you a great day and a great week. Peace be upon you.
6: Thank you very much, indeed.
1: Thank you. you. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye now. So, that was uh, Pippa Cotterill, who's... Um, uh, works at the uh, Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists and works as a speech and language therapist in the NHS in Wales uh, uh, with children and has done so for over 20 years. Uh, some really valuable um, you know, bits of information and advice from her.
3: But yeah, is a, 100%. Um, you know, we mentioned on various occasions that it's always brilliant to have these experts. You know, you know the topics in and out. You know, you know mm. the real struggles or. For example, you know, the, the young children um, and their speech impairments mm. that they've um, sort of suffered because of the pandemic. Um, and yeah, I, I presume all of these, well, a, a, a portion of these referrals have gone, you know, to um, her sort of department. Um, but yeah, it's, mm. it's very interesting. You know, I never really thought about the, um, um, that the ramifications of the pandemic would be of such a nature whereby, you know, children of such a young age would you know, having uh, difficulties in, um, mm. you know, their speech. Exactly. And, and that's the thing, though, you know,
1: different people dealt with it differently, you know, the, the, the lockdown is such a, you know, when we sort of step back and reflect upon it, it had a, such a huge lasting impact and effect on so many people, mm. and especially, you know, children. who normally be at school at that time, you know, uh, during the lockdown, they would have been at school, They would have been with their, their peers having mm. fun, having lessons, having a structured day. And then all of a sudden, you know, they were at home being homeschooled. I mean, no doubt. Mm. Uh, yeah. uh, some children, you know, enjoyed it and, you know, were nice, you know, happy to have the break. But as parents, I think it, <laughs> it was definitely hard work,
3: you know. I can only imagine, you know. <laughs> yeah.
2: I, You know, we're, we're, we're only a year out of COVID, almost yes. a yes. year out. And... I think we're only seeing the beginning of it and mm. the true fallout of what COVID has done to our society in terms of children, even parents. Mm. You know, you've got young parents, first child, and, and, and these kind of things. Mm. And I've seen it myself firsthand where what we where we coined the term COVID babies. Mm. They have struggled um, to kind of start to speak or, or have that independence because they've not known anything other than being at home. That's all they've known. Whereas, you know, when you look at their siblings or their cousins or that has evolved and kind of developed their skills a lot more pre-COVID, you can see the difference. And I think over the next five to 10 years, we're going to see the real ramification of what COVID has done other than the immediate impact that it's had on people's health, mental state, and the economy we're going to see the wider aspect of it in the years to come
1: 100 percent. It's, it's so it's so true you know what, what you said there and, and the thing is um this is probably controversial i'll say that. but the thing is some people may even you know beg you know, ask the question you know was all these was this not around you know nece- absolutely necessary but you know, like you said uh brother sharif you know it's it's it's, it's it's also should I say cousin Sharif? <laughs> you know, it, it is. It is. You know, we are going to be sort of with time see the mm. the lasting impact um, of of the um, lockdown, right, dear listeners. We shall be taking a short break uh, soon for the eight o'clock news. Um, after the eight o'clock news, we shall be discussing this matter further. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please do get involved. Give us a ring. Uh, please don't feel shy. On zero two zero eight six eight seven. Uh, seven eight seven eight. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Uh this is an interactive show. We do love to hear from yourselves. Um if there's any of things that we said that you don't agree with then pick up the phone uh, and dial in. Um and like I said the breakfast shows runs from Monday to Friday from seven AM to nine A. M. There are so many other programs uh and live programs here at the Voice of Islam. Uh there's also the drive time show which runs weekly uh uh or from Monday to Friday, again from uh, it's, uh, from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. and on the on the weekend we have uh, Saturday morning live, and on that's on Saturday of course, and then on Sunday we have Weekend World. Um, so please do get involved. Don't feel shy. Give us a ring. We shall be taking a short break for the news now uh, at 8 o'clock, and join us after the 8 o'clock news. Mm-hmm.
0: You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
1: Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. Welcome back to this Monday's edition of The Breakfast Show being broadcast live around the UK and uh, in some parts of Ireland and up in Manchester. So, um... We uh, The time is fast approaching, four minutes past eight. And we were discussing um, the first of our segments this morning, the first topic, which was how has COVID affected the development of children. And we were fortunate fortunate enough to speak to Pippa Cotterill, who is a speech and language therapist, and she shared her expertise and her knowledge with us. Uh, I do believe we have an audio clip, uh, Brother Sharif.
2: Video um, audio clip of a talk show series that discusses um, social issues affecting today's youth. And on this show, they discuss um, the education of our children. So please um, stay with us and listen to this uh, short video um, audio.
7: alaikum and welcome to Real Talk. As Amadi women, the importance of raising the next generation of God-loving, God-fearing children is ingrained in us from early childhood. This understanding of the Therbiyat of children is being strengthened by recent studies that show that mothers and children who have the strongest, most secure attachment lead to children who have a good, close relationship with God. Mothers who place a high priority on the needs of their children are laying the best foundation for children who have a close relationship with God. In this program, and next week's, we're going to be focusing on these issues and much more when it comes to the Thirbiyyat of children. In this program however we're going to focus on the Thirbiyyat of early childhood. Joining me today we have Sajda Zafar who is the National Nasrat Secretary here in the UK. Assalamu alaikum. Next we have Atiyah Amadi who is on the National Turbiyyat team for Lajnaya Maila UK and is currently a wakfino secretary for a local majalis. As-salamu And finally, Maryam Chaudhry is a parental educator running parenting classes for the London Borough of Wandsworth and the National Deaf Children's Society. as Thank you all for being here today. We're going to jump right into this and start with Sajda. Um, Sajda, what does Islam say about the role of parenting when it comes to early childhood?
8: Islam lays a lot of importance on the role of parents. Um, I'm sure you've all heard the hadith where um, it's mentioned that paradise lies under the feet of the mother. Um, that hadith is generally, you know, related to, in regard to children, but it's also a very important hadith for parents to earn that paradise under one's foot. The mother has to be the kind of mother who can give their child the terbiyat and the upbringing that is required by Islam.
7: So then, uh, what are the responsibilities of parents um, when it comes to children so young? Uh, I mean, what are we required to do?
9: From the fact that from day one we are asked to do the adhan in the ear of the child when he's born indicates that our responsibility starts as soon as the child is born. You know, we have to, by saying the adhan, we are reminding the child of Allah and reminding ourselves of our responsibility, that today it's the adhan, next it will be slowly different things you know, in when children are younger, term islamic terminology, when they're walking around, say inshallah, mashallah, assalamu alaikum, these things, and obviously daily prayers and teaching them the words of Salat. We'll go
7: into all of that in so much more detail throughout the
9: rest of the program. Um, but, Mariam, uh, when does the
7: role of a parent begin? Um, is it once you have the child, is it before the child is even born? What does Islam say? What do we understand? Um, I think scientifically they show that
10: your pregnancy does have effect on your child. The child can hear your voice. Um, it will be aware of your emotions and how you're feeling and Islam would also support this and we are told to recite the Holy Quran often during our pregnancy because um, the child will be aware of our voice and it can be, have a very calming effect um, but also Islam would advise us to keep our minds and our thoughts pure and clean during that time, because these emotions and these thoughts that we have will un- undoubtedly affect the um, the child even before birth. Right,
7: um, and Sajid, there's actually prayers that we should be saying um, before we even have children um, yes, yes. for their well-being. Exactly. I mean, a lot of people think that once the child is born,
8: we can start praying for them, but that's not true. We should start praying for the for Our future children, even before we plan on having these children, because this is such a huge role and such a huge responsibility that we shouldn't take it lightly at all, and we should
7: pray for them even much before the time of their birth. Okay, let's go to the audience. Uh, You've just heard that parenting begins before birth, even. Uh, What do you think about that? Well, how did that affect you when you were expecting children? Yeah, back. Even in the Holy Quran, it's various parts it's encouraged us to pray for our, for our future. For example, in um, Surah Al Imran, so
10: chapter three, verse thirty-nine, it states, "My Lord, grant for me pure offspring from myself. Surely, Thou art the Hearer of all prayers." Okay. And, and, and and so, if it's written there, then there is no limit to when we should start praying for our for our future
7: children. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Anybody else? Yep, in the front here. Can we pass the mic right there?
10: Yeah, just to that point, really. Um, I remember, you know, being quite young and being told told by these sort of elder ladies of the Jamaat, you should pray for your children and pray that you have, you know, nice children. And as an eight nine year old, you laugh, you know, you think this yeah. is just crazy, but actually they were right. And really, you should start praying, you know, as soon as you consciously can, um, that your future children are are a, de- a delight to God.
7: Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's come back to the, the panel now. Um, Atia, should potential mothers then be thinking about their own knowledge, their own Islamic knowledge then before um, before having children?
9: Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, we were discussing this before that, um, in fact, when the, you're younger and you don't have children, it's the best time to learn because sometimes when you do have the children, you're, take, you're taken over by the chores of the with, that come with the child. So praying for your children, before, before, before they're born, is very important. And also, how Maryam said that um, having a pure and clean heart, mm-hmm. and if you have pure and clean thoughts, that, I think Khalifa Sani said in his book, The Way of the Seekers, that having a pure and clean heart, mm-hmm. um, therefore, passes on to the children that you are having. Yeah. And as we do our daily prayer, and we teach our children daily prayer before they're, before they're even seven, and mm-hmm. we say the prayer, um, we already say to them that oh Allah make me regular in my prayer and my children too so we're already praying for our children even before we've even got to age of puberty right, right.
7: and uh, Maryam um, or Sajda what, what about fathers uh, what is their role in that really early period Um Fathers yeah. definitely have a great role. People
8: underestimate the, that role sometimes, I feel. Um, fathers can create that harmonious sort of um, atmosphere in the house where it's peaceful and safe for the children to be brought up, where the mother can safely teach her children without the stresses of the outside world if he's taking care of that side. And also by his behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, example is the best way to teach any young person and they can teach the ch- children from their own example about how they treat their mother and all that kind of...
7: Yeah, thing. so let's, let's start with that then. Um, Miriam, what, how do you start teaching children, um, uh, children that are really in infancy, um, can you start teaching them um, and, and doing their, their moral and spiritual education from that young of an age? I think education really does start from
10: the very beginning and we underestimate how quickly children start to learn and pick up. Mm -hmm. Um, Children, I think the best thing that you can do is to model good behaviour for them because Mm -hmm. the way children can copy um, and what they see and they absorb um, is absorbed in such a way that it becomes innate behaviour, it's not learned, it's not artificial what they see, they will copy and mimic and that Mm -hmm. kind of behavior I think um, is very successful um, in teaching them and for to have a lasting effect Mm -hmm. so what we model, what we show our children, will very very quickly become absorbed into them, the way we smile
7: at them, the way we respond to them if they see us doing something, they're likely to copy us. So how do we, uh, with a newborn then, um, what is the best ways then to interact with them um, to encourage the spiritual growth
8: I think that, for example, when you're feeding your child, um, to say bismillah before you... I mean, it might seem that this is a two-week-old, three-week-old baby, but they are listening and they are taking that in, just like you would see Western mothers singing to their children. They sing a lot of nursery rhymes and songs, and eventually children learn from that. But instead, if we make a habit to say du'aim, reading the Quran in front of them, doing the namaz. Often when you go to the masjid, you see children who regularly come to the masjid. Yeah. They may be a few months old, even you know, 10-12 months old, and they are copying the actions of the salat. Yeah. And that tells us that they have been seeing this from a very young age. And although they don't fully understand it, they know not to talk to the parents while yeah. they're doing the salat. They know not to ask for anything. So obviously they are taking
7: in What's going on around them? So yeah.
8: it's yeah. very important. Definitely. So,
7: othia, what what are the most important things for children to be taught um, at that young of an age? I think is obviously, that you can obviously just say, the prayer, this the important. because yeah.
9: the Holy Prophet said that Sallallahu Alaihi Said that a child should be asked to, to be told to do their daily prayer after the age of seven. So, obviously, at the age of seven, they must know the prayer, the words of the prayer, the actions of the prayer. Mm-hmm. So, that in itself tells us that by the age of seven, a child should know those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, just general Islamic terminology, the the Holy Quran, as Bajj said. said reading the holy Quran in front of them sometimes mothers would think to do for my prayer I think I'll wait till the child's having a nap to do my Salat because Mm -hmm. I won't get disturbed but in fact they should they should put the child in front of them the child should be able to see them doing it otherwise they will never see that they will not know like Mariam said imitating and mimicking the behavior so definitely the example
10: and there's a hadith which says them respect your children and cultivate good manners so although we, we, there is a lot of emphasis it is our responsibility to teach our children religious knowledge mm-hmm. um, but actually it's also important that we respect them mm-hmm. and we teach them good manners because good manners is something which will last them a lifetime. So how do you do, that, do that with um, uh, starting I would, infancy yeah, I think things like sharing that? being saying mm-hmm. salaam to their elders when they come in mm-hmm. you know being the first to offer salaam which mm-hmm. is really important um, and that's good manners as well as Islamic teaching um, I would also say things like being sharing offering other people whatever they have in front of them um, you know showing kindness and respect to others and we will only teach them to be respectful of others if we show them respect mm-hmm. um, and often we don't associate respect with a small child we would um, associate they should be respectful of their elders Um, But I think, to some extent, we have to respect them as well, to listen to them, Mm -hmm. to show that they are valued in their home. Because a child's self-esteem and confidence builds up at a very young age, 18 months, a child would know whether they're valued at home, whether the people around them care and love for them. Mm -hmm. um, And
7: and that will be reflected in the way they behave. Uh, I think one of the most important things um, as Muslims um, is that we want our children to have a very firm attachment to Allah. How do we begin teaching them about Allah and and having a relationship with Him um, from that young age? Can we? Or do we wait until they're a bit older and they start to understand the concept? Um,
8: they won't obviously at
7: a very young age understand
8: that concept, mm-hmm. however like I said they mimic things and they copy what we're doing. So if we are taking the time out, for example when it's time for Salat, we turn the TV off, we tell them to put the toys away, we're going to do Salat. Um, things like that, just generally um, being grateful for the things that we have, appreciating what we are given, mm-hmm. small things like that. and. They will slowly slowly at first. They won't understand why we're doing it But they will know that that's that's how it's done and then eventually they will Understand why it's being done and they will start and they will realize the importance of having that connection with Allah um, Not necessarily fearing Allah as such more the fear of uh, angering Allah or I should say um, Displeasing Allah in the sense that they would not want to displease him because he has given them so much because he has that love of, for for
7: Allah, they would not want to displease Allah. But how do we we talk about the concept of of, of Allah then? Um, What kind of concept should we
9: be teaching children that young? That young, like Bajisad just said, it's very hard to understand. But walking around, we can say, look, look at the trees and Mm -hmm. talk about the trees and talk about all the, being grateful for what we have. So wherever you come from, look, look, Allah Allah has given you eyes and ears and nose and mouth and you can walk around, look at your legs. So just be grateful. And I think those things then just start some thinking about where have we come from, who has created us, who is our creator. Mm -hmm. So just showing them things around us and every time they get something new to say, oh alhamdulillah look where is this come from and always bringing it back to Allah so i think definitely that that concept will slowly begin to begin to be in their minds because they know that as they were growing up they heard about Allah Mm -hmm. and how Allah Allah has given us so much and he is gracious and he is merciful he listens to us when we pray to him Mm -hmm. so obviously making children pray for things as well on a young age is a very good way of um, developing a relationship with Allah
1: So that was a discussion of a program um, called Real Talk um, where we, they were discussing the upbringing of children and their you know, moral and spiritual training. So there's very interesting points there Brother Shazdeb and uh, Brother Sharif
3: Yeah no exactly mm. um, very interesting uh, to see you know the understanding from the Islamic lens um, of how we as Muslims go about in uh, raising our children. And you know, we heard the, the secular or more the, the, uh, sort of the scientific avenue with uh, Pippa earlier on. Mm. But um, the approach which Islam takes is more um, relevant to what we have been told by the early prophet, and the peace and blessing of Allah, and yes. indeed his companions, um, and then later on. The example of the Promised Messiah and his successors. Mm. So, yeah, it's mm. um, very interesting to see both um, avenues and to see how you know both of them are mixed in the society that we live in.
1: Exactly, and you know the thing is one of the traits uh, that I find so endearing of all the caliphs, all the beloved caliphs <clears throat> um, after you know, um, since the time of the Promised Messiah upon whom be peace. You know, who brought the true teachings of Islam to mankind? Uh, all the caliphs—they kind of, always, when you see them addressing children, they always talk to them, always with respect, and never talk to them in a condescending, you know, uh, manner. They always t- speak to them in a respective way, and it's so beautiful because that's that's how you know children should be addressed. So if you are constantly um, what's the word shouting at them yeah. or telling them off. No, abusive, that's, that's, hmm. that's that's you know that's the sort of easy thing to do. But mm-hmm. if you you know you know, show a little bit of patience, you know, uh, and try and use a little bit of wisdom and speak to them properly, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it pays um, you know, big dividends, doesn't it, Shri?
2: Indeed, and uh, you know, if you've mentioned a very very interesting point, if if you ask anyone in the community what Memory they have as a child mm. of the hulaah i I personally will say, "Oh, I used to love going to meet him because you'd always come out feeling better, but right. you'd always have a chocolate in the hand, yes. <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly. and then and then growing up you you would go and then if you've passed your exams or you've done well. He'll give you a pen yes or a book or you know when you get married he gives you a ring mm. all these kind of things that you know you associate with the holofah and uh, and you think about it when with hindsight is all to do with how you bring up your children and uh, the the affection and the love that you show and he they, they've always led us by example whether we knew it or not at the time in terms of how he, you know, if you look at photos of the fourth khalifa, may Allah be pleased with him. You know, whenever he was in a crowd and he was meeting people, he would always grab the child. He will always pick them, pinch their cheek, give them a kiss, hug them, do something. Even even now, when we look at the fifth khalifa, if you look at the videos, um, I remember recently, well, not so recent now, but mm. when um, Hazur opened up the tuck shop in Islamabad. So, you know, how he met with all the children that were there and gave each one of them a chocolate and how he was affectionate to them. It shows that, you know, our our caliph, we're very blessed to have them who's led us by example and showed us whether we know it or not, how to treat our family, how to treat our children. And if you think about one of the things that was mentioned in in the audio clip we just listened to Mm. is that respect that we don't sometimes associate with children. You know, when you treat a child with respect they will treat you back and they will learn those good manners and i think that's very interesting and it's something that we sometimes forget Mm. or we become remiss afterwards that we've said something we've done something and then we go back and think oh we shouldn't have done that or maybe we should have done it in a different Mm. way but it's something that we always need to have at the forefront of our mind when it comes to children they learn from our behaviors more than they learn from what we tell them Mm -hmm. so by our actions they will um, learn things more than what we say to them. So we can say all the right things to them, but if we're not practicing it, mm-hmm. they're not going to learn it.
1: You know, that's really funny because, uh, and funny in the sense that it reminds me of a funny incident where uh, someone was talking about an incident where uh, an adult or oh, parent was saying to the child, "Oh, you must pray, you must go to the mosque and, uh, forgive me because I can't remember the exact source, there's a story that I remember quite well. The child said to the father, "But you don't go, you know. You mm. don't go to So there's no point, like you quite rightly said, uh, brother. Surya. There's no point saying to someone, "Oh, you know, do this or do that." And if your example mm-hmm. is not there, you know, yeah. what, that's that's like double standards and an actual actual hypocrisy, isn't it?
2: It is, yeah. and the children will pick up on that. Oh, and the, the the beauty of children is they are as honest and as um, genuine as it gets, and they will say what they see, and they will kind of challenge you on mm. things. If you say something and do something else, they will do it. Mm. Exactly. They have that innocence about them.
1: Totally. Totally. And you know, Islam uh, always, uh, you know, this is why I, I'm, I, again and again, I repeat myself, I, I, I'm so you know, uh, humbled to uh, and, and I think we're all blessed to be Muslims that we have constant guidance, uh, guidance around us in the teachings of the Holy Prophet, many peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in all his, um, um, you know, his caliphs after him in their lives, and all, in, of course in the form of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him as well, and the caliphs after him as well. And we you know, look to all their teachings, their actions, always full of love and always leading by example, which is the most important thing. And, you know, for, well, I think one of the real important things, which um, um, you and Brother Shazeb mentioned, uh, Sharif, was that, you know, the importance of prayers you know, for children, and mm-hmm. they spoke about that in a, in, in a, the audio clip as well. Uh, of course, it's one of the, you know, one of the tenets of Islam, you know, to, to pray, <laughs> and pray, pray yeah in the prescribed manner is obligatory upon every adult Muslim of sound mind. Now, as far as the children are concerned, it is not ob- obligatory on them until they come of age. So this is an important distinction there. However, however, it requires continuous effort and persuasion to get them to the stage where they start offering their prayers regularly in the manner prescribed for the prayer. Um, proper training and education is therefore necessary for children. So it's for this reason that the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has directed that when children reach the age of seven, parents should urge them to be regular in their prayers. And then when they reach the age of ten, they must be admonished if they fail to offer their prayers regularly. Now, once the children reach the age of maturity, it becomes compulsory for them to offer their prayers. But at that stage, no individual or government has the right to force them to offer their mm. prayers. So like he says in Islam, uh, there's no compulsion in religion, like it says mm. in the Holy Quran. You know? um, as the prayer is offered under compulsion, it does not mean anything. So it, is, you know, it has to be offered willingly. And the matter rests between the person and his God. This is always you know, a very individual thing. Therefore, it is the duty of every and all Muslim parents to prepare their children for the prayers from an early stage. Mm. Moreover, it is highly essential for them to pray to God Almighty that their children become regular prayers. God's help is sought because the task, of course, is huge. And, you know, the reasons to highlight the importance of prayers include that the prayer, of course, is a pillar of Islam. While all other pillars of Islam are conditional, this one is not. It is obligatory under all conditions. And prayers are very important in cultivating a personal relationship with God Almighty. Faith is strengthened by the acceptance of prayers. And prayer is the key to prosperity and success. The door is always open, whether it is um, studies, personal goals, or something that is important to you. Only you can always ask Allah.
3: Yeah, no, yeah. very true, yeah. and, that, and that's bang on. Yeah. Um, you know that that one phrase which you used: to have, "The door is always open." It's so powerful, so meaningful, because that is the case that we find with the religion of Islam. And whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, we always believe and know that you know, the Almighty is listening, um, and mm-hmm. you know there isn't that sort of concept of you know thinking or perhaps even walking down the road of thinking that you know our prayers are unheard or are you know, falling upon deaf ears, God forbid. So that's very true. Another a quotation here before me uh, it personifies the worship in one's youthful age, and the Promised society to that extent has stated that if one spent this period, i.e. the period of one's youth, in the worship of Allah, the refurbation of the self and obedience to God, fruit which he shall reap, is that in his old age, when he shall be unable to perform any worship, and inactivity and tardiness shall overcome him, the angels shall come to record the same prayer, fasting on pre dom prayer, which he used to offer in his youth. And this is the grace of Allah, that despite the fact that he is unable to perform deeds, God considers him exempt, and the same deeds are recorded in his account. And so some techniques that, you know, one can use to encourage children to pray are instilling a very loving relationship with your child from an early age, and if they are unable to concentrate on their prayers and you know, make sure they don't lose their heart, explain the advantages of prayer to one's child, or allocate a special place in the house dedicated to prayer. So, you know, these points are very pertinent to making sure that, in essence, really what we're talking about is making that connection with Allah and the Almighty so that, you know, come what may. Yeah, children are prepared, because our um, belief as Muslims very much so that having connection with Allah resolves all issues and potential issues that may come. So that being a very um, very pertinent point to Beautiful. today's discussion.
2: Definitely.
5: Beautiful. Um, I, yeah. think,
2: I think we're coming up to the end of um, this segment, but mm. I want to end this part with a prayer. That's from the Quran, the Holy Quran, and it's from Surah al-Fulkan, chapter 25, verse 75. And I think it's, it's a good point to make, um, well, it's a good point to end this segment is the prayer that's said in there is, Oh, our Lord, grant us of our wives and children the delight of our eyes and make us a model for the righteous. And I think there's no more beautiful way to, to end this segment than this with, with this prayer so, so Brother Khalid, um, what's, what's the next? Should we go for a small break and then come back for segment two? Definitely, yeah. And,
1: um, yeah, sure. I think I just want uh, our listeners to um, fill up their teacups or their coffee cups, <laughs> <and> warm that <laughs> toast, and join us after
4: this short break. Ever since man walked on the face of the earth, there have been over 15,000 major wars that have killed close to 4 billion people. Though impossible to calculate accurately, It is estimated that since the beginning of our recorded history the world has known only about 300 years of peace. Each leader in the world desires to find a lasting solution to the issue that has plagued our beautiful planet centuries over centuries. There have been many movements, conferences, organizations and NGOs all over the world that promote the idea of world peace but peace on earth has continued to be just an aspiration. Khilafat Ahmadiyya is the heavenly institution that was prophesized by the peace-loving prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. History has shown that whenever the world suffers disorder and injustice, a spiritually guided man stands up and advises the world on how to achieve
0: peace through the heavenly teachings of Islam. A new station, The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam.
3: As-salamu wa welcome
0: back to the break.
3: Show here at the Books of Islam. Just before, before the break we were talking about um, the various hurdles that the pandemic has brought in relation to children. Uh, but it's now time we start off our second segment, which is about the energy crisis, which is to be um, incumbent upon all of us really, uh, especially as winter is just around the corner. Um, so the gist of the story really is that this winter, uh, experts and charities have warned that after the energy regulator hiked the price cap, a uh, household billed by 80%, a typical household and gas electricity bill will rise to £3,500 a, a year from October. But I think these figures have um, somewhat have been changed since um, our program was researched. Um, I think List Trust came in with the figure of about two and a half thousand, or t- mm. to cap it around two and a half. That's right, yeah. Um, and say so the Children said that young people's health was at risk, and money expert Martin Lewis predicted ga- grave consequences without uh, more state uh, help. And it's more likely that lives will be at risk this winter due to the high energy prices. And a warning has been given to experts and charities after the energy regulators hiked the price cap on households by 80%. Save the Children said young people's health was at risk and money expert Martin Lewis gave his um, predictions on potential consequences. It's also mentioned in the BBC article that the rise in the energy cap, which is the maximum amount that suppliers can charge households per unit of energy, means millions of households would see the annual bill to rise from around 1900 or so um, to around what we've said two and a half thousand um, and even Chancellor Nadim Zahawi acknowledged, acknowledge after the announcement of the new cap we need to do more so yeah some some of our information perhaps may be um, uh, slightly older but um, nonetheless you know there is some good news here uh, from the incoming prime minister and we're she has brought about, you know, or kept to a promise. Um, mind you, mm. the economy will suffer quite a bit because there'll be more borrowing. Um, yes. You know, billions, we're told. Yes. I think 200 billion or something around that figure. Do
1: you know, the thing is that it's a legacy, isn't it, um, Brother Shri, that it's going to leave mm. in the long term. Mm. So it's going to be our, our, our the future generations, uh, you know, who going to have to sort of foot the bill, unfortunately. Yeah. And this, is, yeah. yeah. This, 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 Topic of this particular particular segment is that lives could be at risk this winter due to rising energy prices. The thing is, you know, the thing is, uh, brother Sheree, that even before this, you know, uh, these 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 energy sort of crisis started, you know, was starting to sort of uh, mm. manifest itself. I, I, you know, I worked uh, with so many people. Well, not so many people, but there's a fair number of people. Uh, you know, in the sector that I work, uh, brother Sheree, you know, social care sector. I see mm-hmm. vulnerable adults, you know, yeah. deciding whether or not to heat up their house or, you know, or, 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 or feed themselves. It's, it's really um, heartbreaking.
2: It, it is, and we've seen that has a, an impact of COVID, and like we were talking earlier, mm. you know, we see one impact on children's development, but now we're seeing it from a financial point of view, yes. economic wise, mm. you know, the, coming out of the pandemic, and now the war in Ukraine, and the energy crisis and everything that's come into place. And we were already seeing that the food banks in the UK had increased significantly over the period of COVID, community help, community, like where I lived. um, During COVID, we had a couple of bus stops around the corner who became like food banks. So people would leave um, food boxes and stuff for anyone who wishes to go and help. So we're seeing a dire need for... People to help each other, mm. and but on the upside, on on the positive side, we're seeing a a, a more sense of community being being instigated, be going back into the roots of what community used to be like, helping thy neighbour, and and supporting each other, understanding what their needs are, and how we can um, help each other. But over the last few months, we've seen in the news that even the food bank has been decreasing. Because people are struggling to buy for themselves now because everything's gone up. So simple things that we used to buy, you know, we, we've had a horse show talking about um, the, the food crisis in the UK. We're having the fuel crisis where, you know, pe- prices of the pump has gone up. And like Brother Kyum said, we're being hit left, right and center at the moment mm. with rises everywhere. And the energy rises was just the latest one on the list to, to create a anxiety within society and like you said we're really i'm really pleased actually that Lee trust our new prime minister has come in and kept a promise but the one thing that i would I, we need to make very clear is that when we say that the price cap is at 2500 That doesn't mean that that's how much you're going to be paying. What it means is Mm. that it's the average that the household will be paying based on your usage. So if you use more, you will be paying more. So what's being capped is how much the energy company can charge us per kilowatt that we use for electricity and gas. That's what's being capped. So if we leave our lights on... The whole day, every day, thinking that we're just going to be paying two thousand five hundred. Mm. That's not going to be the case. Our bill will still go up. What we need to do is address how we energy save.
3: Exactly, very, very important point there. And um, I think many people were perhaps fall in the trap of thinking that their bill won't surpass two and a half grand. but it, no, it's always down to how much you use. Very, um, very, very, very um, important
2: point. It is. And and if I may, I was you know when it comes out when you read the headline you know the bill bill will be capped at 2500 or 1900 you you automatically go into that thought okay that's how much i'm going to pay and i budget mm. for that but that's not the case you know it's it's the headline it's what's gripping the headline but mm. when you read the detail it's like hold on there is more to this and yes. i was like uh, mm. you know and it takes you you have to take a step back and think about it or what is it does it actually mean but if you just read the headlines and you go by the headlines you would think that you know what 2500 you know okay fine maybe it's a stretch but i can afford it but then you stop worrying about what energy saving you're going to do and and all this stuff and you go hold on why is my bill still going up past that exactly because people haven't done that thought and we're very you know, I'm, I was guilty of it, and initially, when I when I looked at the the rises at 1900, I looked at it and go, you know what, that's going to be difficult, but it's mm. still manageable. Yes, and I didn't think that it was the price, the kilowatt hour that's being capped, and not even the standing charges. You know, the standing charges has almost doubled now. Okay. So, but things like that that we need to kind of be aware of and kind of make sure that we don't fall foul of these. Um, these headlines,
1: mm, definitely. You know, the thing is, one well, I think one of the question that you know, comes to mind is why are these energy prices rising? And and there's been like you said, there's been so many different things that have happened uh, around the globe that's caused these sort of things. And the thing is, I'm going back to. I think one of the catalysts I think that started all this nonsense, and I think this i i would say it's uh it's 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 a, su- i think su- is this my opinion here so this is not from anyone else it's my personal opinion things that started all this this this, this, this scaremongering and this super official uh you know information and and an increase in, in the prices was from from the outset of brexit i, I think maybe you know things happened before that there was a recession before that but Brexit I think was one of the things that started people were sort of panicking and then that's when you know the next thing we knew we had we had uh, lockdown and then there was like panic buying and you know people mm. <laughs> rushing by toilet rolls you know again that's the,
3: that still baffles me to this day why toilet yeah. rolls was on the top of the list exactly. but and, and then we mm. never had HTV drivers and that was an issue yes and yeah. then we had you know, yeah. huge delays in Dover you know Yes. Sikhs ran around and the Sikhs gave some food to the drivers there. Oh, yes. Um, But yeah, it's just been, I think, everybody looking from the outside in at the United Kingdom right now Mm. is probably thinking, what the hell is going on Mm. there? You know, uh, Mm. stabbings on the rise. There's a lot of issues. Um, And for a nation to be leading, to be the G7, um, for such a nation to be there and to have such issues, I think. It brings around a question of leadership um, and overall governance. Um, it is, and it's you know, it's a start of reality as uh, as where yeah. we are in the times that we are in.
1: Exactly, and uh, there's a question I wanted to pose to both of you, um, gentlemen. You know, it, it's been mentioned quite a, you know, quite a lot by different, um, you know, the, the shadows of uh, finance sector and so on. And, you know, the labour I'm talking about in particular. I've said that you know, and other people have said in the news and in the media that if if these massive uh, global energy companies, uh, you know, were asked you know to, to provide like a windfall tax, do you think that would will, will, will solve the problem, Sharif?
2: Um, I think it's a step towards the the shortfall so Mm. if you look at the measures that least trust has put in place over the last couple of weeks since she became prime minister Mm. it's going to cost the uk economy 150 billion according to the bbc right and that's borrowing that the uk government is doing and like um you've rightly said it's gonna be a legacy that our children and our grandchildren mm-hmm. will be paying for. And so is the impact of the pandemic, Brexit and the Ukraine war and so forth, like we've seen with in previously with the war in Iraq and Afghanistan and stuff like that. We're still paying for some of those nowadays today. Right. The issue with the um windfall tax is yes, it's a good step in my personal opinion, towards that. But it's a fraction of what we need to towards that 150 billion. I don't think it's even 10 percent of that 150 billion if we were to tax them. Mm. So, in in my personal opinion, and I just want to make that very clear, yeah. personal, that whilst you know I I think it's a good idea, uh, but I do not think that it's the solution that Labour has kind of branded it to be, and we're seeing that Liz Truss, our Prime Minister, has looked at it and go, no, nope, in her opinion and in the Conservatives' opinion, the best way to approach this is to do it this way. And, you know, I don't think there is a, a ultimately a right or wrong way of looking at it. It's just a different perspective. But the one refreshing thing that I've seen and in the last few weeks prior to, you know, we've only had one session of um, Parliament, before the queens unfortunately passed away is that um we've seen true debate in the house of commons where we've seen um both side of the aisle whether it was labor or the conservative having constructive discussion whether one side is wrong or the other side is right is not um i think in my opinion neither here nor there at this stage because we haven't had that real opposition to the government so far mm. and even if you look at the end of the debate where Keir Starmer walked up to Lee's Trust and had a very cordial very professional very uh, amicable yes. uh, um exchange shows us that we are in we are in we are at a stage where things are changing mm-hmm. we don't have that um if i may that Mm. buffoonery that we've seen in the house of Commons over the last few years we're seeing more respect and more debate and this is what the country needs we need constructive debate we need the opposition to actually be the opposition, mm. and challenge the government, mm. whether the government picks up on their ideas, steals their ideas, or whatever the, mm. the media wants it to be, as long as it's done for the benefit of the country, mm. um, it's neither here nor there. Yeah. And I think having that debate in the House of Commons, like we've seen, mm. between Lee Strass and Keir Starmer, yes. and this, if that continues in the years to come until the next general election, I think that's only a good thing for the for the country.
1: 100%. You know, this it is a very, very good solid points there uh, sharif the things i think f- going all the way back to i'll say the outbreak of the pandemic and lockdown and so on i think the the this pandemic is a global issue and you see certain nations so this is no way a criticism of how things were handled in the uk but it's just my observation and my personal opinion that i think you see some nations they banded together as a nation there was no difference in party politics so there's cross-party alliance, and the whole country got together to deal with the problem. And I think, like like you said, these small steps, thats uh, and this respect between the two uh, opposing parties, um, if this, like you said, carries on, and then we tackle this issue, excuse me, we tackle this issue as a country, as a nation, look out for one another, and tackle this head on. I think that bring you know. Um, rewards far sooner than just, you know, criticising the opposite party and saying, look, you know, you need to do this, this and that. But I think if they put their ideas together, you know, God willing, uh, we hope and pray that happens,
3: you know, things will progress a lot faster. I think, hmm. I think I mean, yes, notably they have been, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, the Conservative government has, you know, pulled through in, you know, rolling out the vaccine. I think we were the first, perhaps, to roll out the vaccine in mm. great numbers, mm-hmm. as Boris Johnson so famously said in his uh, yeah. farewell speech. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, 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 they have done, you know, a, a fair few things um, mm. yeah, during their time, uh, ra- rather during his tenure. Uh, but we digress from the topic at hand. But, mm. um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's... Every government faces its challenges, um, and it's one challenge after the other. Whether it's a pandemic, whether it's a globalisation, or whether it's you know an energy crisis, there's always an issue at hand, and it's just how they deal, or how that government deals with the issue in the current time about it, it comes about. In, mm. um, and you know she's had to borrow more money. What's the alternative? Well, you know, dare we say, but you know like, we cannot say. You know, Russia has been our long-term. You know, uh, enemy or not, at least not an ally um, there's always been that sort of animosity um, mm-hmm. and I guess it's you know it's obviously we have to side with the um, the oppressed in the circumstance that it is and you know the ramifications are such you know, Europe if anything is facing more of an issue in terms of an energy crisis mm-hmm. because they were more dependent on Russian mm. gas, um, us less so but nonetheless you know we hope and pray that the situation improves um, as we progress. Definitely,
1: and this is this is one of the things I think the beauty of Islam. That Islam has a holistic view about uh, you know, looking after sort of your neighbours,
3: your friends, mm. people that are in need. Exactly, and Islam has always been on the side of the oppressed rather than the oppressor. Definitely, because yeah. of you know the great amount of injustices that you know. That people were succumbed to during the time of the Holy Prophet and because they couldn't raise their voices. Um, you know, now we were hearing just this morning mm. in the 8 o'clock news that, you know, key um, areas within Russia have been retaken. Um, mm. British, you know, an ex think army chief giving his opinion about, you know, this unprecedented withdrawal of Russian troops, which is, you know, brilliant to hear. But, um, yeah, but, you mm. know, Islam has always been on the side of those people that, um having been given their rights uh, and always voice for their rights to be heard.
2: Um, indeed, and um, like you've um, you've said, it's, uh, it's something that's quite pr- um, profound in Islam in itself, where Islam has ordained sympathy for the poor and the downtrodden, and their uplift was a major concern at its very inception. You'll see that a study of the chapters of the Holy Quran that were revealed in the beginning of Islam shows that the most dominant message in these verses is to support and uplift the poor. Mm. Muslims are told that if they are, they desired national progress and God's pleasure, they, then they must try to help the poor and elevate their suffering. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've seen many, many examples. Even in in the late, in the last few months, we've heard from His Holiness Hazrat may Allah be His helper, that you know, during the time of the Khalifas after the the, um, the the Holy Prophet, may Allah be, um, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, that they used to go around to make sure that the people that were under them had food. You know, I think it was Hazrat umar that used to walk around at, at night and correct me if i'm wrong there but he used to make sure that people had food and he would take the food himself so it shows that islam even at its inception had this um injunction on their leaders to actually make sure that the people they they rule under had all their their, their needs met and we've not seen that in any other point of history
3: Definitely. You know, very true, um, and you know, Islam has always been of the opinion of reconciliation between nations. You know, especially in the circumstances that we are in, mm. you know, bringing nations to um, together. Um, you know, we've always seen that you know, war has never resulted in any sort of positive mm. outcome. There's always been, you know, natural damage, um, and you know, at the end of the day, it's civilians are paid the most. Um, and that's at this current time that we are in, you know, across the world, mm. everybody's really paying the price for an unprovoked war. Um, and, you know, there's a verse within the Holy Quran in chapter 49, and verse 10, which I think of the Mighty States that if two parties of believers fight against each other, and make peace between them. Then, if after that one of them transgresses against the other, fight the party that transgresses until it. Re- returns to the command of Allah. And then if it returns, make peace between them with equity and act justly. Verily Allah loves the just. So that's to say if two or more states, you know, as we were mentioning Go to War, then it's the duty of others, you know, to bring about a settlement between them so that no further damage is caused. Um, So in essence, you know, peace is um, the main sort of, uh, commodity or rather peace is the main goal here. Um, so there isn't suffering there isn't you know families without fathers, um, families without mothers you know. there isn't loss of life um, and overall you know we all would be aware of the various other wars which have happened across you know, various parts of the world the Middle east most notably where to this state you know, Yemen being a prime example, um, you know, unprecedented amounts of uh, loss of life, mm. of, um, famine, um, droughts, um, you know, it's just all very sad to see. And, you know, since World War II, we say it's long over peace time that there's been, um, really, is there peace in parts of the world? You I know, mean, that's a question. Yes, not.
1: that's a very good question. Exactly. Um, is, mm. uh,
2: what I was gonna say is um there is a really good book written by the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mizabashiradin Mahmudabad, may Allah be pleased with him. You know, it's it's the fundamental of an Islamic League of Nations. And in that book, one of the principles that he states that um Islam teaches is that as long as the nations of this earth are not readily to federate a world state, a system of international security should be established along certain practical lines Mm. in line with the verse that, you know, we've just been recited and I think this is the message that His Holiness as a Mizor Masur Ahmed has been consistently and you know, um, fervently said Mm. in all his speeches to world leaders whether it was at the United Mm. States um, or in the UK or even in Europe is that true justice and should be the goal of governments and not internally looking only at their best interests, but look at the international interests. and this is where you know we're seeing at the moment those um, unrest around the world is causing um, disharmony in society at the local level where we're seeing the rises of food um, prices, petrol prices and the topic that we're discussing, the energy prices, you know, one of the reasons that's been, you know, like we've said is the, the war between Russia and Ukraine and the pandemic. So those conflicts have increased, but if only we had, we were able to ponder upon, upon the teachings of Islam, we would find that we would find a solution for these issues.
1: Oh, very beautifully put there, uh, brother uh, Sharif. Thank you for that. Uh, dear listeners, um, we hope that you've um, enjoyed today's show. It's been an enter- uh, entertaining show, and um, uh, we know we um, were fortunate enough in our first segment uh, to speak to a uh, guest uh, who shared their expertise with us. And uh, we we're very grateful for you know, to people at Cotero for helping us uh, out and you know, spending the time with us this morning. The first topic we discussed this morning was how has COVID affected the development. Of children, and the second topic which we are just wrapping up now. Um, you know, we were talking about the um, lives, how lives can be at risk this winter due to rising energy prices. And, like you know, your brother Shazeb mentioned there, brother Sharif, you mentioned as well, you know, how uh, if we follow the injunctions of Islam, follow its teachings, and look out for one another, we look out for our neighbors, our friends, our family, relatives, strangers, people that we don't know, uh, inshallah, you know, God willing, that will be. Uh, Will make for a better society that everyone, you know, is is getting help, and that everyone is, you know, uh, not being left wanting. And this is just in, you know, in line with what Islam teaches again and again. Like I said, you know, when we look at the life of the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, there's no greater example, you know, of someone who is so generous, so kind and uh, looked after people again and again. So, dear listeners, uh, thank you for joining us today here at The Voice of Islam on this Monday's edition of The Breakfast Show. This afternoon, you can hear another live program it will be the drive time show. Uh, the Breakfast Show runs from Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Uh, it just leaves me to say thank you to our guest, Pippa Kotoril, for, uh, like I said, for coming on this morning and talking to us this morning. Uh thank you to our producer for this today today's show, Tahmina Chima, and to our researchers Faisal Mansour, Roxana Nasir, Wajiha Haroon. Uh big thanks to our technical support wizard, Mr Akib Adnan. Thank you for your help, Mr. Akib. Uh thank you to my co presenter uh Imam Shazeb Atar and um, Mr Sharif Banu. I hope you, gentlemen, have enjoyed the show. Um, and of course, I want to also help. Our, uh, we have a guest in the studio, um, uh, Murabi um, Daniel Ahmed. So I hope you enjoyed the show. He's been listening in the background, uh, Sharif. For your information,
3: <laughs> he's just
1: uh, one of our new presenters. So, um, any last words, gentlemen?
3: Yeah, Alhamdulillah, it's been, uh, you know, topics are very interesting, uh, thought-provoking, and I, th- I hope and pray that the listeners also do find them um, of, of such a calibre. Uh, apologies for any sort of technical issues throughout the programme. Uh, we do try our best here, but um, I requests request for prayers. Definitely. Um, we
1: are coming up to the 9 o'clock news. Uh, so, dear listeners, there will be, like I said, uh, the Breakfast Show again uh, tomorrow, and we will be discussing some further topics. Do not feel shy. Do get involved and uh, please give us a call here in the studio. Um, We would love to hear from you. I would love to uh, just hear your opinions and your thoughts. Uh, So until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the sincere peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. Have a great day. Stay safe. Look after each other and take care until next time. Assalamu alaikum.